0: Don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. Great to have your company for the next hour or so. This is a program we call The Call where we take a look at 10 stocks that you suggest. We put them to an expert panel for their adjudication. Today, Mark Morland from Team Invest joins the panel. Mark, good to see you again. Welcome. Good to see you, And Scott Phillips uh, from Motley Fool joins us as well from the uh, Southern Highlands headquarters of Motley Fool. How are you, Scott? You're well?
1: Gosh, you exceptionally well, thank you, sir. Any good self?
0: Uh, very good, very good. But getting nice good. and nippy down the Southern Highlands, wouldn't it? putting the open <laughs> fires on and lots of glasses of yep. red wine, half your luck.
1: Been on for a couple of weeks, mate. It's gonna be nine degrees, our maximum, this coming Saturday. So uh, you all can come down, but bring you your woolies if you do.
0: Well, yeah, and my beanie, I reckon. All Pretty right, sure, but... um, let's get stuck into it with our uh, stock of the day. Um, uh, stock that's been in the news and technology one has reported a bumper first half profit surging 48% thanks to strong demand for its global software services. The Brisbane based company uh, also saying revenue also spiking with the company tipping expenses for the full year to be broadly in line with the last year. Uh, Forecasting full year profit before tax up between 10 and 15% on the payout, another increase up uh, 10% to 3.8 cents a share. Uh, remarkable company, this one, a global one, Mark Morland. What do you think yes, of the yes. update and the company?
2: Well, the company's um, been a very, very long-term favorite of Team Invest. So right. it's a, we call it a wealth winner. Yep. And what a wealth winner is, is a company that reliably gives us very outsized returns. Right. So uh, t actually uh, delivered, I haven't checked the compound total lately, but it's around 30% a year compound Wow. if you bought it a decade ago. Yeah. Uh, I originally, I bought my first lot at 98 cents and I bought it. Uh, Two dollars forty-three something. You know, I bought it. Add to added to it right. over the time. I haven't been a seller. This is I would argue. So
0: you've still had the eighty-four cent yeah purchases. Yeah, 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 so You've done
2: all right. Yeah. So um, it's been fantastic. And it's very well widely held with uh, Team Invest members, and this is a company that has all the attributes that we like to see in a company. Right. It's got a founder, Adrian DeMarco, who started it in his garage. Uh, right. He's now the chairman, so he's been there right through. So it's got over twenty years history. Uh, he's a brilliant conservative founder, and he has built a fantastic business. So this has got a uh, trapdoor moat, so they provide enterprise management software for uh, councils. So they're the largest supplier. What does that mean, a trapdoor moat? It means, uh, trapdoor moat means that uh, once you buy their product and you're using it, you can't get out. Oh, right. An example oh, okay. is, like with accounting systems. Right. So once you've populated everything, you've learned how to use it, your staff are all using it, it's very difficult yeah. to say, Just we don't, hard don't hard like that anymore, yep. <laughs> we're going to change that. If right. you have a system, think of councils. So the council has, uh, on the Technology One system, it runs wages for all the staff, all the approvals of planning, processing, oh, all the garbage, oh. all the fares, That everything is on one integrated system. Right. How do you change it? Right, yeah. Now, to prove that, too, too hard. they went yeah. for 10 years without losing a single contract. Sure. So that what that does, that demonstrates how powerful the yeah. Treptile Mode is. Yeah. 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 And uh, that's a SAS, a SAS model, and they are. Uh, it's not when you say global. At the moment, they are operating in London, yeah. uh, and they started there about five years ago. And unlike most Australian companies that grow overseas, they didn't buy anything. They have hung a shingle up, sent some Aussies over, started banging on doors, did it the hard way. Right. And it's right. taken. And they've invested quite a lot of money, all been expensed. They don't yeah. have any debt. Right. And uh, they've now made a first maiden profit in the UK of half a million. Um, and they're going very, very well. So the UK is going to be a whole significant profit mm-hmm. centre for them. And that right. market's about three times bigger than Apex. Oh, yeah so okay. uh, so their future is fantastic and they're doing very well in Australia okay. so the profits up 48 uh, percent they've increased their dividend by 10 percent every year for the last 10 years wow yeah so this is a super super reliable company now it's not at a bargain price but it's um, it's showing we're returning uh, it's returning 10 point four percent a year at the current price and for a company of this quality and I would argue this is the best company in the country wow. How how's that for the claim? that is
0: a massive wrap. yep um so would you be buying it at 9 bucks? Well I won't because I've got lots of shares. Right. Um right. I
2: have I have had an order in at 6.90 which is now 690? Well, It's faded away, but I right. like buying it when the market doesn't like it for some reason, but obviously okay. I'm way out of the money now.
0: Do, does that happen a lot? Can we bring the 5 year chart back up um Goddard? Yeah it does. So oh, see no, 218. Yeah, there you go.
2: There, there was a, there was two things that happened back in 17 16 17 there was a they had an argument with the Brisbane council and the share price dropped 30%. Right. Then in 2018-19 there there was a short seller report which was totally bogus. Uh, and the and it dropped again. Right. So I bought some then. Right. I got some at about 350 then. Right. Um and so I add whenever I can. Right. But we haven't had a good opportunity lately. But if you look at 99 there, 2000 it was down at 7. It hit, seven hit about right. 7 bucks. Right. And that was good that was good buying. Particularly right. particularly with hindsight.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, but this is so reliable. This business, they've got about two years net profit in reserves. As I said, no debt. It's a reoccurring. Uh, the eighty-five percent reoccurring. They get, they're aiming to get to ninety-five percent reoccurring income, meaning right. that all their clients just keep paying ongoing um, uh, yeah. subscriptions. Yeah. So it means they don't have even if it's a downturn, it doesn't matter because right. all their clients are. Mainly government. So you've got uh, government departments, health, education, and, and councils. Right. They all pay their bills. Mm, yeah, okay. There's no credit risk. Yep, yep. So it's fantastic. Okay. It's a buy. It's a buy. Even at yeah, $9. Inscribe. Well, compared to... For a new investor, a into new it. $9. you're a new investor. You can get 10% super reliably with, yep. with upside. Yeah, There's upside on that. Yeah, uh, You might get 15 or 16%, particularly yep. with the UK coming right. in. Yeah, so yeah. I have to say it's a buy.
0: Okay. Scott, that was... I have never had a more glowing assessment on a company from Mark Morland. Um,
1: Do you agree? He's very picky, mate. He's picked a good one. Look, I I agree with the company assessment. I think the business itself is fantastic. Mark has done a wonderful job of outlining exactly what it does. And most importantly, why it's been so successful for such a long time. Plenty of people focus on really, really big total addressable markets. You want a global market, an Amazon-like global market. That's great if you can get it and you should take it, absolutely. But if you can just find yourself a really profitable little niche like government software, for example, I don't know two people who would have been super excited about that, right? If you said, look, I'm going to build software. Oh, great. Who for? Oh, the health yes. department for the New South Wales government. <laughs> you, you'd go, you know, you think, okay, fine. But, you know, when are you really going to get big? When are you really going to do something? So it's a, when you find a really profitable niche and with that trapdoor moat that Mark outlined, really, really attractive. I love everything about the business. I can't come to a buy though. I'd actually... Uh, I would be keen to throw this back to Mark. I, my, my numbers, I've got to pay about 45 times earnings. True. I love the business, as he says, but even with 10, maybe 15 time, uh, 15% growth, um, I'd love to own it. I'd love to own it at a much cheaper price, but I'm just not sure I feel confident enough about a market-beating return from here. It feels like a lot of... The, the, the problem with great businesses, unfortunately, for, for new investors mm. is like Mark. He's bought it at 90 cents, done an absolutely stellar job. But once everyone agrees it's a great business, then it gets a great business multiple. And if that right. multiple holds, then maybe you get... A return that kind of approximates the earnings growth, which is fantastic. Right. If multiple doesn't hold, it comes down for whatever reason. Again, as Mark's already pointed out, there are some buying opportunities. So I love the business; it's definitely one on the short list has been for almost ever. Uh, when there's an opportunity to buy it, you want to be buying it at those cheaper prices. I just can't come at it at 45 times earnings.
0: Yeah, yeah. When was it? Uh, just on that 12 month chart, was it last July at 760? Uh, just on the 12 month one, got him. Just bring that one right up um when you say there we are yeah. uh, around end of December, January, around 760 and then yeah. again back in August, September was down there as well. Yeah. So if it got back to 760, Scott, around those levels, are you interested then?
1: Ah, oh, you know what? Whoa. <laughs> I'm going to be cheaper. I'm going to be cheaper than Mark. I, I just look. At, I just don't. I don't know. You want to be paying even thirty times earnings for a business right. growing at that sort of rate. Ten growth is fantastic. Like, you know, a really good business, really solid business, will grow at that rate forever. It's fantastic. If you wanted to use any sort of you know uh, valuation algebra and say right, what does a discounted cash flow say, or a dividend discount model, or whatever you want to use, I, I just don't know how you justify it. The only way you can, at least to my mind, right. and again, mm-hmm. I'm happy to hear Mark's thoughts. He's much more an expert on the company than I am. But, you know, the only way you can kind of continue to make money here or not lose money is if the market continues to agree the multiple is worth paying something starting with a three or a four. If this yeah. is a 24 multiple anytime soon, you'll lose half your money. Even yeah. if profits hold, if they grow 10 percent, you probably still lose 85 percent of your money. So that that's my biggest concern is if you want to buy these sort of multiples, you have to believe either the company grows into the multiple at a reasonably quick time or the market always pays that sort of high premium. And maybe it does. And if so, that might be worth buying. But I, I can't quite bring myself to have enough faith at the current yeah. price, unfortunately. Because I love the business.
2: Okay. Okay. No, that's a good comment. I think the my, my rebuttal to that would be that uh, I do think the earnings will be 15 percent plus over right. the next five years. So, okay. so that that weighs it. That helps to justify. It. Its PE at the moment, by the way, is um, in the bottom of the red. So for TNE, it's been up to 55, 56 PE. Oh. So and the okay. reason is you saw it in that chart with the price going up. What's happened is, I think with the tech boom, obviously, uh, this has been, people have said, oh, T&E, you look at it from 2018, yeah. it got re-rated. So the PE went up then. That's not, that, so and that's why the price has gone right. up. Right. Yeah. Because the market started paying higher PEs for, yeah, um, yeah, for tech uh, stocks. Yeah, that's right.
0: So that's a factor. But while all the other tech stocks have come back as they're shipped to value stocks. Yeah. It hasn't come back much.
2: Well, right? they are a value stock as well. So that's the interesting thing about TNE. They run; it's so predictable, and its earnings yeah. are so solid, mm-hmm. and it's so well run as well. It has all the all the hallmarks of a Buffett stock, right? But it's in the tech area. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, my my view, uh, I, I I agree. I've been trying to buy it at six ninety, you know, and I've missed out. Yeah. Was, I was too greedy, and I would be delighted to buy it now at seven fifty. So, right, okay. So to add yeah, to that yeah, position, yeah, yeah. and and the the issue with the the PE ratio, I think it's going to be, it'll stay up there now, as long as interest rates don't go up. So I think it's the broader market issue of, right. we're in a high PE environment because interest rates are so low, the cash rate is yeah. zero. Yeah. So if I can get 10% on a super, super, super quality company, that's good. Yeah. But well, it's got our model's, Scott's right, our model's assuming a terminal PE of 39 in five years. Right. So if that's high and it drops to 30, then my rate would drop by a percent or two. So, yeah, there is risk on the PE, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's true in a lot of stocks. Yeah. But I think it's really not about the sentiment of the company. It's about the uh,
0: interest rate argument. So okay. if interest rates
2: bump back to 6% or something, then, yes, PE's would come down across the board.
0: All right. Okay. Good discussion on technology one there. And uh, with a bit of direction from both Scott and uh, and Mark well, went a bit overtime on on one stock. It's, it's worth right? it. But it's worth it. Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't often get sort of this is the best stock on the share market from you, Mark. So it's worth spending a bit of time on. All right, let's get on to the uh, stocks that you want to take a look at. And Scott, Patrick wants a view on Paladin Energy. Scott says uranium is having somewhat of a renaissance as a result of the move to clean energy. Has bipartisan support for nuclear energy in the U.S., Wondering if you could get your guests to discuss their thoughts on Paladin, because it's a big uranium producer and explorer. Australia, Canada, Africa. Uh, the Langer Heinrich mine in, Namib- in Namibia is its flagship project. Uh, uh, uranium has always, for decades, has had so much promise. Uh, has it ever delivered, Scott?
1: No, and this is the real challenge, I think, for <laughs> no, investors is trying to. Trying to separate the trend and the promise and the possibilities and the would-be's and the whatevers from actually what happens. You know, the, the old too-good-to-be-true probably is. Um, this is the challenge for Uranium. There, there has never been, despite that um, alleged bipartisan support in the U.S., I mean alleged from our questioner's perspective, but whether the parties actually end up doing what they say they're going to do is, is a big one, right? Because we know Japan's kind of pulling back, Germany and France are pulling back from nuclear power, the push is on for renewables around the world. Uh, we won't get into an energy policy conversation now, but the real question, of course, is how up five times in the last 12 months, fivefold? And the, the, the challenge, I think, with looking at something like a trend and saying, hey, these things look positive, should I buy, is the share market tells you the market's already kind of realized that. Now, maybe there's still more upside. So I'm not I'm not a, a fatalist. I'm not going to say the market is up, therefore there's no more to make, because if I said that six months ago, the share is still doubled from that point. So I'm not going to say that just because it's up doesn't mean there's no more money to make. What I would say is that, when you're hoping on a, a trend or a possibility or the macro sense, whether that's just pure sentiment or emotion from the market or from regulators or from whatever, you kind of have to then back that in to say, right, but how much am I paying? How much of that sentiment is left? If the market already knows it, uh, you, know, you don't want to be the last person at the table. You don't want to be, you know, when the clock strikes midnight, you, you don't want to lose the shoe at the ball. So this is one of those situations where if the macro story works, then that's, your, that's the first tick off then go to, does Paladin have, to your point, Kashi, your partly rhetorical question, does it have an attractive market? Does it have an attractive future? Do we see fundamental promise and fundamental delivery? Are they delivering on those results? And again, nothing, it's not their fault, but the market's not buying enough uranium right now to make it a profitable endeavour over any extended period of time. And I don't know that if you are to buy Paladin now, you're taking an absolute punt. You're saying, look, sure. maybe possibly the U.S. opens more more nuclear reactors. Maybe possibly they buy uranium. Maybe possibly it's Paladin's product. Um, there's just too many what-ifs there. I, right. I think realistically, you you want to punt on uranium, knock yourself out. Um, there's not enough to fundamentally recommend this particular company, unfortunately.
2: Okay. Mark? Um, yes, well, I'm, not, I'm definitely no uranium expert. Uh, <laughs> but what I do know about it is that Paladin lost $48 million last year. Yeah. So it's a ma- making a massive loss. It's running t- minus 21% return on equity, which effectively means it's losing 20% of its, e- of its equity a year, yeah. which is really bad. Yeah. And I totally concur with what Scott said. Just because uranium looks like it might have a future, and by the way, it's just that's not a, any guarantee by any means, but let's say it does. At the moment, my understanding is the uranium price is pretty close to its cost of digging out of the ground, right. or less, which right. means you oh, know okay. it's very hard to make money in uranium. So the price has yeah. to go up. Now, the argument is, because the U.S. is saying we need to stockpile uranium as well, that's what they're talking about yeah. as well. Uh, therefore, the price is going to go up because most of these mines are shut. You know, yeah. well they're, not, they're not producing because they yeah. can't afford to produce because yeah. you're not getting paid for it. Yeah. So that sort of says that there's an opportunity in uranium, but it's absolutely in the price already. Right. So okay. it's only I, for me, Paladin, Paladin has probably only got one way to go right. unless the market wants to be crazier, right. yeah, which maybe it is. Mm. One thing I will add, though, is I do know somebody who I won't mention the name, who's very, very astute in this area in mining and so on, and he's put in $20 million into ERA. Right. Now, ERA, uh, I, think, I think it's a Jabaluka mine, which also isn't yes. producing, I don't think. No. But Rio, you know, he, they think, he thinks that Rio will make a takeover bid. They're a partner in it ah. to, to take it out because once the uranium price starts going up, they can re... They get the mine going again right which is okay. an easier thing to do than a
0: lot of these other mines which right. are more potential mines rather than right. it's already there see there are a lot of mines what you're saying is there are a lot of your uranium mines mothballed yep. at the bone and easier to start up than start a new mine yeah if the price goes up that's right right there's plenty of there's plenty of uranium around
2: yeah yeah uh, Yeah.
0: so uh, and we've got a lot of it here
2: yeah so that sounds to me like a, a if you're a punter. Yeah. It's not for me, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the ERA one sort of sounded, sounded interesting. Okay. But that's all that's right. It's all a right better
0: now. bit than Paladin. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, June wants a view on mineral resources, uh, mining services company with a portfolio of operations in lithium and iron ore and a bit in copper, isn't there? Uh, Mark, what do you think of mineral resources? It always comes up, mineral resources, even yesterday. Uh, we had uh, Rex Minerals come up on mm-hmm. the call. Nathan and Gorab say, no, not in Rex Minerals. Uh, go in mineral resources or Sandfire if you want exposure yeah. to that. And it's uh, mineral resources ha- comes up constantly from, and particularly some some of the direct lithium sort of plays yes. on the market. Whereas the experts say, too high risk, direct lithium. If you want an exposure, go mineral resources, because it's like a portfolio of operations. Yeah, oh, okay.
2: <laughs> obviously yeah. I agree. Uh, right. it's, it, Min, Min's another favourite of Team Invest. I think right. 90% at least of our members own Min. Uh, why? Yeah. Uh, it's a fantastic company. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. But... so we know Chris Ellison very well. He's the right. uh, he's a founder CEO. He started it and he's built this into an $8 billion uh, yeah. business. So he's a billionaire and yeah. he operates out of Perth. It's WA. He started off by buying second hand crushing plants in countries where the mines went broke and then pulling them to pieces and shipping them back to Australia, uh-huh. and then doing contract crushing work for Rio and BHP for their small deposits where it wasn't worth their while to build you know, right. serious crushing plants, and he's built yeah. it from that. Uh-huh. And he's, he's a, just a brilliant entrepreneur. He, just, he can make money in any environment. Right. Um, he's now, this year, they reckon, he reckons he's going to produce 90 million tonnes of iron of their own, because right. bought, he bought some mines for nothing right. when, the, when the price was low. Right. Yeah, small ones. Yeah, yeah. And then he's got mobile crushing plants. So, uh-huh. And he's has got Gen 2. He's the lowest cost crusher in the country. Which, if you've got a low cost moat, as in you're the cheapest, yeah. you're going to be the last man standing when right. the prices go down, if they go down. Yeah. So, yeah, the, his cost, I think, is about $80 a ton. I think Fortescue is running at 20 or something. So he's right. a higher cost producer. But when the prices are $200 plus, he's yeah, yeah. like, come on in. It anyway, huge. that's one thing. The other thing he did is he bought into lithium about 15 years ago. And bought a, a two. Bought two. One was called Mount Marion, which he paid up peanuts for uh, at the time because it was before, before lithium was sexy. Yeah. And he turned that into a significant mine that's exporting to uh, China and so on, and it makes spodumene. So a lot of the talk about lithium is all about Gunner companies. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, they've got these great resources, mineral min has been producing for years. Right. And yeah. then they, the other big one, just to show you how smart he is, he set up a second mine called uh, Wajuna and uh, he, we don't know what his all-in cost is, but it's well south of 100 million. Right. And uh, he sold a 60% interest in it to Albemarle, which is an American lithium hydroxide company. Lithium hydroxide's the, the fully processed lithium to battery, right. to get yep. forward, that's the input yep. to the batteries, yeah. for 1.2 billion US. Yeah, wow. that's, that's what, 1.5 billion Aussie yeah. for 60% on 100 million investment. Right. He's still got 40, yep. and he gets 40% of the Kemperton lithium hydroxide plant that Albemarle are building, which is over a billion. So he gets that as well, free carry. Now at the moment, as soon as Albemarle did the deal, which was uh, last year, they mothballed the mine. So he just got the mine ready for production and they went, no, we'll wait till we have the lithium hydroxide (laughs) plant finished and they take the full offtake of the mine for that. And it's all going to the US. So there's nothing in their price yet for that. So he's got like well over like one and a half billion in cash. It's paying, I think it paid $1.70 dividend last year. It's currently about $43 Right. Yep. Uh, share price roughly. And we're showing it returning 15% on a margin of safety and over 100% a year on our default settings.
0: Gee, even and at this price? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. We bought in, uh, we, I made a lot of money out of this during the mining boom. Most right. of our members had it. Before 2012, right, and we sold out when the mining boom was looked like it was a, it was coming to an end. The, the yeah. iron ore mining boom, yeah. and then we bought back in at five or well, from five dollars, right, uh, in 2017. So two, into 2016, it bottomed. Yeah. Chris Ellison bought bought 30 million dollars worth of shares on market, and that was the the go button for most of our members to go. We're in. My mistake was I should have backed the truck up because <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, yeah, clearly it's gone from five to forty five. Yeah. But the highest I've paid, I bought some. Um uh late last year at twenty nine. Right. So I've added okay. all the way up. Okay. But I think it's still cheap. Okay. Uh, it's right. on a PE of ten.
0: Wow. Um Scott. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm
1: gonna spoil the party again for Mark. Oh, um, spoil I got party. Party. it's a PE of ten. I'm, I'm not spoiling the party, all he owns the shares, he's made a fortune. Uh, a, he doesn't mind at all. <laughs> Look, he, he, I, again a bit like technology, you want to completely agree with the summary. I think what I struggle with is the gain in share price for months. We look at where some of that profit growth has come from. If you break down the numbers, and Mark would know this, half of the gain in profit, actually, I think it was almost the whole gain in profit last year. Um, again, Mark, maybe correct me, was actually from the iron ore price. They actually break down. Look, these these guys are are great operators. Their investor presentations and are really, really thoughtful and useful. Um, In a world where plenty of companies are just trying to spin their way through results uh, to try and convince you to believe what they want you to believe, Uh, these guys do a great job in breaking down the underlying performance. Firstly, they report underlying results, not just headline numbers to make it look spectacular because the results were really, really good on on a reported basis. Underlying was still very good. But almost all of that profit growth came from the iron ore price. And I guess to some degree, given the share price gains, that's kind of already factored in. But the question, of course, is where does iron ore go from here? I've, I'm on record as saying I would be betting against it staying this high. I don't have a time frame. I don't have a target price. I don't do predictions. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at the gains, you know, 90% plus margins for BHP, Rio Fortescue, as Mark's already mentioned, even Mineral resources making, there must be, what, 60% margins at the moment, even more maybe, um, on, on this sort of number. So great profits while the iron ore price is high. If it stays high, they will mint money for a very long time to come. If it doesn't, then those profit margins come back. The profit total probably comes back as well. Um, So I'm I'm, I'm, I'm almost inclined to uh, defer to Mark's better judgment on this one and better information. But if I look at the raw numbers and say, do I feel comfortable enough with the reported PE? I don't because I expect that Uh, Not that the numbers are wrong, by the way, but over time, I think the iron ore price comes back down at some point, possibly even below their cost of production, which, as Mark's already mentioned, may require an to moth. So have they factored any lithium into this share price or is it all iron ore? I'm sure it's both, Koshy. If you look at the, uh, if you overlay the lithium share prices that we've been talking about over the last couple of months with uh, uh, with mineral resources and both, I think that, look, that's my challenge. Again, it's, it's one of those companies that I'd love to buy. I have no issue with any of Mark's qualitative assessment. It's a, it's a wonderful business. Uh, and it's one that I'd, I'd happily go back in time with Mark and buy it at five bucks. Uh, but uh, but we can't, you know, <laughs> oh, four or five, I'm just not convinced that there's enough left. Yeah. When Again, it's, it's a sentiment story. Right? When sentiment changes, um, there's a great time probably ahead to buy this company when people don't want to love lithium, don't want to love iron ore. When the when the commodity price, when the tide's all the way in, swimming against it is a really, really tough thing to do as it goes back out. So I'm probably going to give this one a miss, uh, but I'll be keeping it again, like technology one on the on the very short, okay. short list. It's one of the better companies in the area. Okay, okay
2: I'll just re- re- uh, rebut a couple of those points. I agree yeah, with
1: you about the iron ore price, by the way. I don't believe it's going
2: to stay this high. Oh, it's down to 100 180 overnight. It's US. Like, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah It's yeah, mega. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. of course it's not going to stay there. I think it'll stay there longer than people think. I mean yep. men think it's got about it'll be high, not necessarily that level but over yeah. 100 probably for the next five years. but even if you discount that, 40 percent of their revenue is not their iron ore it's the contract crushing with Rio right and so on So right. that's they get paid that regardless right so, okay. so, so that's 40 percent of their revenue And while well, some of the lithium's in the price, the main play is the Waginana uh, Albemarle deal. Right. That is earning nothing right. at the moment. Now, what that is, remember, they're, they're not now shipping lithium. you know, They're shipping lithium hydroxide. This is the full value chain. Yep. So what he's done is he's gone... Uh, when, like a few years ago, the share price came down because he stopped exporting uh, lithium from uh, Mount Marion and took a hit on it. And the market went, what? Right. Share price dropped. He said, what yeah. for? We're going to be... Well, mine bean plant will be finished next year. We'll stockpile it and then we'll make three times as much. But why will we sell it? And when you go, well... Uh, What's wrong with this story? Yeah. We said it's a buy on, yeah. that, on that alone. It's just right. on that thinking. But when Lodina you know, becomes, uh, sorry, when uh, uh, Kempton Lithium Hydroxide plant starts exporting, which is due, by the way, late this year, you know, right. so it's not far off. Right, that's yeah. a whole new income stream. Yeah. So I think that'll more than swamp any loss they make on their own okay. uh, iron ore mines. But other than that, I agree, iron ore is not going to go down. And I'll be very surprised if uh, men's means not a lot higher in 12 months. Okay.
0: All right. You could be. Well, we'll make a note on <laughs> yeah. that when yeah. you're back in 12 months' time. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, have a, we'll have a bottle of red on it. Sure. All right. Let's uh, move on. We've got to uh, get a bit cracking, We're, but we've been good analysis so <laughs> far on uh, the stocks that we've looked at. Gina wants a view, Scott, on Cube Holdings. This is uh, a logistic solutions <laughs> business uh, uh, supply chain. Is it... Um, um a bit like um oh the um Prats or the horizon
1: yeah yeah busy uh, yeah. so f- first things first koshi if it is the gina i'm going to take this offline and charge her a 7.5 <laughs> for my advice uh, assuming it's not uh, yeah. I'll, I'll happily give it for free on the program uh look cube is a really interesting business they've done a fantastic job of aggregating a whole lot of logistics uh resources and making what is largely not exactly a vertically integrated, but basically a you know a one a one stop shop for logistics needs. Whether we're talking about ports, stevedoring, right. uh, of course rail, as you mentioned with the Horizon comparison, yep. it's it's a real they've done a really really nice job of bringing the business together. The problem I have with it is that they have kind of bought lowish quality businesses together. And when I say that, I don't again not not meaning to cast aspersions on them, but it's very very difficult for capital intensive businesses to be really really strong high performing businesses. They just yep. they just tend not to be. Yep. At some, at some cycles, you get a lot of operating leverage because if the operating costs are so high and re- roughly fixed, any revenue growth, actually, the extra revenue <clears throat> is really, really profitable. You don't have to move those fixed costs around much. But for the rest of the time, the other 80% of the time, when things aren't extremely good or extremely bad, they're kind of moderately ordinary. Uh, and that generally tends not to be a great way to invest. Um, you can see you know, the, the volatility of the share price there as, yeah. as goods were, were expected. Uh, to not move around quite so much and deliver quite so much profit. We know the supply chain constraints, of course, around the world at the moment. I'm just not a fan of the business. And at the moment, it's trading 44 times earnings, which, right, yeah. you know, if, if I can't yeah. if I can't just fight for technology one, I certainly can't just fight for Q. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Again, I get the business. Like it's it, they've done a really nice job of bringing together a, manager, a bit like Alan Joyce at Qantas, right? If you do a spectacular job running the airline, you might say in business that that's yeah. about the best you can hope for over the cycle. It's yeah. kind of the same. Done a really good job building the assets, bringing it together, creating a, a holistic operating company. I just don't love the the underlying fundamentals and I certainly don't love the price. Okay, ma.
2: And co- totally concur with everything uh, Scott said. It's also you know, a good measure we use is a return on equity because the return on equity is you know, what are they earning yep. for the capital they're deploying in the business. And as Scott said, this is a capital-intensive business, so you wouldn't expect them to have a higher return on equity. Yeah. t for instance, return on equity is over 40%. Right. Uh, these guys are 2%. Right. Now, the okay. trouble with 2%, return on equity over the longer term typically becomes a speed limit on what the earnings growth can be. Right. So if you've got a 2%, uh, ROE, you can't really make more than 2% None. unless it's PE expansion. Okay. So what that means is, and because the PE is high already, the return at the moment on the current share price for us is negative 8.4% per year for the next five years. Okay. So what our model says, if you buy Cube today,
0: uh, you will lose 8% a year okay. for the next five years. So All right. that doesn't if it was on a PE good. of 10, yep. it would be okay. Yep. I don't think Gina wants that <laughs> negative return per year. All right, Gina, thank you. Uh, Mark, Justin wants a view on Tyro payments. Basically, um, Tyro payments from uh, a lot of small businesses. They do the Epos machines and things like that, don't They yeah. run them, uh, had a bit of a meltdown. Uh, a couple of months ago. Recently, though, bought a digital payments business called Medipart Solutions in the last month or two. What do you think of that?
2: Um, well, I, I know I know this business quite well because one of the founders I know well, right. and uh, he tried to get me to invest in it originally, and I never did because I know a lot about payments and it's a horrible business to make yeah. money because the banks control it. And they came into the market to compete with the banks on acquiring transactions. So yep. this is dealing with the merchants. Uh, at a time where the reserve bank dr- brought down all the uh, what you could charge, yeah, which was like you're going into a business that's controlled by the banks, you know, like they've got all the clients already, they're all there, yeah, yeah. and you're doing it at a time where it's been decimated on the profitability, yeah, that's what they did. So yeah. I give them absolute 10 out of 10 for surviving, right? <laughs> uh, since then, they've turned it into a full bank, so they have yeah. a full banking license and they're progressively building banking type mm-hmm. products. So this is really the next bank in Australia. And right. it could end up being very, very successful. My friend, founder's gone now, so he's not there anymore. Right. Um, and it's only been listed for two years, so we don't have anywhere near enough data. So I can't deal with it from right. an investment point of view. Yeah. I think the possibilities are very exciting for them because right. uh, they are trying to be a digital disruptor and yeah. use all those sorts of techniques. Like one of the things they did with their terminals was bring in multi-currency. So yeah. with the duty-free stores, for instance, when tourists oh, came yeah. through, yeah, you yeah. know, you swipe it at the at the Sydney Airport and charge it to Swiss francs. Right. Okay. Or, or these, you know, or, no bank could do that.
0: Yep. Okay. You know, so right. the banks
2: will catch up yep. as well, but the banks aren't that excited about payments. It's like a it's a bit of a grudge it's area a because commodity. it's it's, about, it's hard work and, yeah. they, and they don't make a lot of money out of it. Yeah. So they may ignore them. Okay. But I like the I like the potential, but I couldn't possibly invest. Okay. Uh, Scott Tyro.
1: I find Tyro a really challenging business kind of for some of the reasons that Mark's highlighted. And I, again, I'll, I'll do the concurring this time. I completely agree with Mark for, from a from a business perspective. On one hand, you know, I look at the business and say, how on earth did the banks let a a third party payments provider get between them and their customers? You know, the old rule of yeah. of business is never let anyone get between you and the customer. Mm. Once you let Tyro come in and say, Hey, we'll do this for you. It's a bit like Afterpay, right? Afterpay are now offering savings yeah. accounts right now, whether or not that's a good investment, different question. But if you're a bank, and you're letting them take your credit card business, then maybe they're going to take your savings business. And maybe you don't care, maybe you do care. But at some point, all of a sudden, you're going to turn around a few times and say, hey, where did all those customers go? Why did we not do something at the time? So I am kind of surprised, despite the fact it's not a particularly attractive business line, I'm remarkably surprised there was enough room in the market for Tyro, particularly (laughs) because our banks tend to be actually pretty quick with payment technology. If you go to the US, again, none of us have been there for the last 18 months. But Tap and Go was really, really sporadically used in the US and it's everywhere here. We take up banking technology really, really fast. So I like, you know, I like the fact it was able to find a niche. Maybe you can do it profitably because as Mark said, no one else cares enough. And again, we like technology once and if no one else cares and you can make some money, that's great. Uh, But I have to say, just on a a strategic level, I kind of don't feel comfortable enough to say to people, buy this one as a long-term investment because I'm just not sure... That this, they have enough of a competitive advantage in this space that other players, whether it's the buy now pay later guys, whether it's the banks, whether it's the the FPOS site, or sorry the POS providers, the um, uh, you know the software uh, point yeah. of sale providers, a Shopify or someone else can't just simply find a way through this business. I don't know what competitive advantage they've got, and how sustainable it is, and if that's the case, I just can't recommend okay. me, uh, people buy. So we're going to have to give this one a miss.
0: All right, Shane wants a view Scott on eRoad. Um, they're in the uh, the toll road business, but not owning the toll roads. They they actually do the technology that collects your tolls uh, for the owners.
1: So this is fascinating, Koshi. This is kind of, you know, in Australia, we're used to the trucks having their kind of, you know, the, the electronic logbooks effectively, yeah. uh, where the authorities can work out how far you drove, how long you drove, how fast you drove. Did you take the appropriate breaks? Um, so basically, you know, a big brother on the, on the shoulder of the truckie. That technology is kind of at the fundamental basis for E-Road. And this is where, as you've already mentioned, one of the potential opportunities, this is, this is blue sky. So let, let's be really clear. This is a speculative play, very speculative end of the market, less than $500 million market cap. Uh, they've got a really big truck fleet in New Zealand, or they service a big truck fleet there. Uh, increasingly in Australia, they're trying to break into the US. But as you rightly say, they're kind of big player, at least people looking at it as a, as a potential really big, you know, 10 bag, 20 bag kind of return would be if and when we end up with some sort of congestion charging or the yeah. idea of particularly when we have, you know, electronic the electric vehicles who don't use fuel, the government won't be able to make money from fuel surcharge. So they'll start to look at some some sort of kilometre surcharge, some sort of basis of how far you drove will depend on how much tax you pay. And these yeah. guys are positioned beautifully to be to a, a provider, yep. a potential provider of that sort of service. So he wrote big, big big blue sky in all the good and the bad ways, right? No certainty about that whatsoever. Uh, it yeah. could come to absolutely nothing. The truck fleet they have is real and it is that they are delivering really good, uh, you know, um, software and services, hardware as well for that <clears throat> industry. If they get into the US in a significant size, just in that, they'll probably pay off the share price. If they don't, by the way, the shares are too expensive. So that's why it's right at the speculative end. Uh, but if they can deliver some sort of US penetration in trucks, that'll probably justify where they are now. The big, big upside, if they get there, is that idea of some sort of, you know, pay by the kilometre um, congestion okay. style charging. These guys might want to provide for governments around the world.
0: So, yes or no for you?
1: No, it's too speculative no, for me. Too speculative. Uh, I, understand, yep. I understand the puns if people want to take it, but it's not, not an investment one. Okay. Not investable for me.
0: Any, uh, yeah,
1: and only an, an e listed in uh, mm-hmm. September last yes. year.
2: Hasn't even got a, there's no reported any yet. Right. So I didn't even know they had a fleet in New Zealand. It's based in New Zealand. Yeah. I didn't know they had the, a truck fleet over there, but they. So I have no baseline even on what their earnings are off of that because there's okay. zero data. Yep. So and even if there was, I wouldn't be interested because, okay. it's, as Scott said, it's way too speculative. And, We'd want
0: to see how it's right. going first. Not a team invest, invest But but a New Zealand tech company. New Zealand produces good tech companies. Well, they're so zero. Right? Meant, zero, of Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Pushpay came out of there. Yeah, yeah. A lot yeah. of them. Yeah. All right. Let's recap the first five stocks. Running a bit behind at the moment. Uh, technology one. A yes from Mark um He says it's the best listed company on the share market. Uh, Scott agrees, but the price is too high. If it came down to around 750, he'd be interested. Uh, Paladin, a no from both of them. Mineral Resources, Mark uh, really likes it at these current levels. Uh, Scott again agrees. Great company, but the multiples are too high at the moment. A no for Cube Tyro and E Road. Uh, Here on the call, we've been tracking our own fantasy portfolio since July 1, thanks to our partner, Trade. Any stocks that gets two thumbs up goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again and doesn't get unanimous agreement, like E-Road was in the portfolio, now comes out because this panel uh, doesn't agree on it. Um, Let's take a look at performance last week, up a percent for the month down one and three quarter. Up 28 and a half percent since the start of the year, some of it, or since July one. Uh, some of the stocks added Abacus Property Group, uh, Universal Store, Nanosonics, NetWorld, Janus Henderson, and Smart Group. Some of the stocks removed AUB, City Sheik, and Atomos To find all the stocks in the calls portfolio, co forward slash portfolio. Uh, quick programming note: We delve into the latest Australian private capital. Yearbook report jointly published by the Australian Investment Council and Prequin um, on how the private capital market fared in 2020. The Australian Investment uh, Council CEO Yasser El uh joins the team at 1:40 PM. All right, uh, let's get into our second five stocks. We'll need to pick up the pace a bit, sure. fellas. Uh, Scott Wes Farmers. Darren wants a view on it. Um, it's always been described to me as a list of private equity business. Uh, fingers in everything from Bunnings to um, coal mines and the whole lot, Office Works.
1: That's what I love about it, Koshi. I love the fact this is basically a holding company for whatever assets it wants to buy. It's almost listed private equity listed investment company, you could almost call it. I mean, it's not yep. investing in, in equities in the same way that a traditional Argo or an AFIC might be, but realistically, this is a business that ha- you know exists at, at a board level and kind of at a senior management level, and then nothing below that, because everything below that is operational, whether it was yep. the Coles business they bought and then sold, for example, um, that, that it's a really nice way to kind of run a business. If you can run it well, if your discipline is in the buying, the operating, And hopefully the management of those operating units rather than actually operating them yourself, that's the big opportunity. Woolworths can't get out of supermarkets anytime soon, right? It is Woolworths. West Farmers was able to buy coals and then sell coals. It'll buy something else, sell something else over time. As you say, the very, very best retail business in Australia, um, it's gotta be close to the world is Bunnings. And I don't mean that just because I love the sausage sandwiches or the chicken coop, <laughs> Koshy that you made fun of me for last year. Uh, it, it's, it's also uh, just, the returns on that are spectacularly good. Mark mentions return on equity. Last out of numbers I saw it was 60% return on equity, which are just mind-blowingly wow. phenomenal. They are just, outrageously high numbers. It is literally the best retail business in definitely in Australia, probably in the world. Officeworks, by the way, not too far behind it. Um, So what I has done a really good job of buying a high quality portfolio of assets. I like the business a lot. I think it's a really high quality one. It's one of those very few bottom draw stocks that, you know, if you made me hold it for twenty five years, I wouldn't choose to. But if you if you said, look, you have got to have half a dozen. West Farmers easily be in that list, almost for the reasons I said, because it's a, a listed investment company. Come as you said, listed private equity mob. They can get in and out of businesses. They're not tied to an industry or a way of doing business that makes them a really attractive idea. Unfortunately, and this is probably going to be typical through the, rest of the program as well. We've started off this way. The P is just phenomenally high. It's a 29, 30 times earnings. Now, maybe it is market sentiment, as Mark rightly points out, maybe a falling tide does lower all boats to, to, to torture the metaphor. Um, you know, maybe as rates go up, everything comes down. So maybe this isn't dramatically overpriced relative to the market. But at 30 times earnings, I just can't yeah. come at West Farmers. The growth just isn't there across the portfolio. Give me Bunnings. If Bunnings was listed separately, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it was worth more than West Farmers itself, ironically. So maybe if you thought it was ever going to be broken out or, or split up or spun off, there's some value there. Yeah. Um,
0: okay. But
1: short of that, I just don't see how it's going to be out for investors.
2: Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with all that. I mean, West Farmers has always had a, a well deserved reputation for being. Very, very good managers. Yep. Um, the, uh, what was his name, um, the CEO for a long time, Goida? Richard Goida. Uh, Richard, Richard Goida. Goida. Well, he, he's, he's got, I think he's gone completely no. now, but he's, he's out of yeah, it yeah. now. No, he, he, was, he was
0: now chairman of Woodside, Qantas, right. and that's the right. AFL commissioner.
2: Oh, is that right? Okay, right. <laughs> um, so he's not there anymore, and he was really no. a driving force, so... No. Uh, I, I agree with uh, uh, the sentiment so far. The problem with the high PE uh, is that we're showing a return at the moment of about 4.5% right. on our default. So if you want a 10% return, you couldn't pay more than $40 for it. Okay. Now, it was $40 within the last 12 months, $39 right. back in, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, in June, uh, June last, last year. year. You know, so, so it's just too expensive. Yep. Uh, I've got the return on equity of the group at 24 Oh, which okay. is still outstanding, yeah. but I wouldn't compare this to T and E. Right. Okay. <laughs> so he's, he's
0: not going to let it go, Scott. All right, uh, Bryce wants a view, Mark, on ALS. The uh, okay. uh, basically <laughs> they're a laboratory testing group, aren't they, are, they? But they in are. in mining, pharmaceuticals, agriculture, just refinance their debt. Yeah, That's we know
2: right. we used to like this company. Right. Uh, years ago, it was one of our one of our uh, wealth winners, and then they they stuffed it up. Basically what right. they did is they made a uh, major acquisition in the US of a company called Reservoir, right. which was a similar business, and um, they they paid a lot for it, and we right. thought it was too much at the time, to proved to be too much. Right. Okay. And it was what, whenever a company talks about a transformative acquisition, yeah. uh, sell. Right. Okay. Is my my recommendation to viewers, yep. and if it's overseas, sell faster. Right. Okay. You know, so, so, um, yeah. And as you said, they have restructured the debt. So since then, it's been a series of woes. Right. All okay. the way through. They even they've even had trouble with their uh, with the Chinese, where they got charged with, uh, which was apparently true, uh, falsifying um, oh. the data on okay. uh, coal exports. Because what they do is they measure the moisture content, and right. there's a calculation to say like you've got a
0: okay. truck of coal, but five year high on the share price. Uh, oh, share price. Probably, I don't care right? about
2: share prices. I right. mean, the market's irrational. Yep. You know we're, what we're looking for are predictable earnings, where we can say if I invest at a given price, what's my return going right. to be? Right. I don't want to have to rely on the market being irrational. Okay. So the All return right. at the moment we're showing. I mean, it's not a disaster. We're showing a returning three point one percent, and the current PE is thirty three point six, and its EPS growth rate at the moment is five point two. So that doesn't compute. No. All
1: right. Over to Scott. Scott. I can't disagree. If you look at the earnings over the past 10 years, if you pull up the graph, it is just like a wave. It's just an oscillating wave of kind of ordinary, decent, good, then back to ordinary, then back to decent. And it doesn't it doesn't go, you know, yeah. it, it follows the, the the pattern. It literally finds a new loan and sort of drifts higher for a couple of years and drifts lower for a couple of years and drifts higher for a couple of years. There, there's no shocks, there's no uncertainty. It's just that it seems to be a cyclical business. The problem, of course, is that's okay. Cyclical businesses are okay. If you pay a decent price. But the current year's earnings are actually less than the same earnings 10 years ago. Right. And so you've right. got a situation where despite its that's best efforts, it's in mining, as Mark mentioned, it's in food, it's in our chemical testing. Um, you know, it should be a growth industry. If, if you kind of were a thematic investor, you look through the industry, and say, hey, where can I make some money? Hang on, how about how about mineral testing, food testing, chemical testing? You're thinking, well, gee, that's a that's a great tailwind industry. Why wouldn't you want to be in that business? Turns out that ALS at least can't seem to find any growth for love nor money, at least at a profit uh, line. So it's just a business that at the current year okay. you just couldn't pay more than. As they gosh, it's gone up. So if you've owned it, wonderful. I'd be selling and taking the money, quite yeah, honestly, because yeah, I don't okay. see how,
0: Absolutely. unless it, unless
1: Absolutely. something changes dramatically from the trend, it's going to be in that sort of cycle for a very long time to come. I think. Okay,
0: all right, Linda Scott wants a view on sell. This is a really interesting sort of biotech medical company, isn't it? They uh, produce cellular. Uh, therapies to repair bones, tendons, nerve, cartilage. Uh, They've got some products that are uh, going through development in the US as well.
1: Really, really cool tech. you're one of those businesses that frankly, you know, they go with my best wishes. You know, we'd love these businesses to do well because if they can create some some novel or, or improved medical processes, technologies, drugs, uh, the devices and actually improve people's health and lives, then you know what, you know, all, all power to their arm. Hopefully, they do incredibly, incredibly well. The problem is, we're not here for that. We're here to invest, and over the last ten years, it hasn't made a red cent. Uh, yeah. And I, I just, you know, th- that that is. If you reckon E roads is uh, E is, is speculative, these guys maybe possibly finally they come up with something. Maybe there's a market for it. Maybe they can sell it, profi- you know, at scale, uh, make a commercial profit. How much will that profit be? Well, we still don't know that either. So hopefully that profits enough to justify the current share price. That's again a lot of ifs. You just can't buy this one on any any fundamental basis. Uh, it, it, you know, ho- hopefully as I said they do well for their shareholders and their potential patients. But there is absolutely nothing to recommend it fundamentally as an investment. I couldn't go near this one.
2: Yep. I no. uh, totally concur. And another thing just I'll mention is if you look at their uh, shares outstanding, from two thousand and fourteen they had three point nine million. It's now currently one hundred and eighty-four million wow. shares. So you think about that. So that's massive yeah, dilution. No, so massive dilution. And what that why that is, is they're currently they're running at about twenty percent per year, uh, their level of burning their capital. Right. So they've been doing that all along. So what that means is virtually Every couple of years, they have to do a major capital raising, which right. means you've got to sell the story again. Yeah. Uh, on the on the and obviously the and I haven't read it, you know, yeah. so I don't know what the story is. And I'm, I I agree. You wish them well because it sounds like great uh, great technology. But yeah, that's the other problem. So even if they are successful down the road, eventually, even if you were an early investor, you might if you haven't contributed all the way through, and you, you'd be glad you'd, if you haven't. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you wouldn't have much because right. because you, you're so diluted. Yeah. You know, it's like one percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what you've, uh, what uh, and it's what all in the timing,
0: isn't it? Well, it's too hard. with, with it's these too hard. ones, it's just too hard. too hard when when you've only, as you both keep explaining to me regularly, quite quite rightly, you have 10 to 20 stocks in your portfolio. Um, why do you need to go for the hard ones when there are so many easier ones to yeah. make some money out of? Um, Mark Samir wants a view on Stockland, the, uh, the big property group, which has a portfolio right across the. The board does it, in, it, it does. in retail, commercial, and also even down to um, retirement villages? and
2: Yes. Yeah, it has. I mean, it's not a bad company. It's It, it's, it hasn't performed that well. It, it, from our point of view, it fails on return on equity and return on capital, which is quite low. It's about seven and five, which is yeah. too low for us. EPS growth rate for the last six years is average 0.8 of 1% Yeah, oh. with good stability, which is, you yeah, know, it's not... For the last not, six it, years. Yeah, that's not even... What that is, that's not keeping up with inflation. Right. Now... Unfortunately, a lot of these uh, uh, property companies have gone up massively on PEs, which is surprising considering, you know, Corona and potential threat yeah. impacts and stuff as yeah. well. So it's in the red on the PE as well. So the PE ratio at the moment, uh, I'm showing it as 17. And for them, that's high. Right. Uh, and the return, therefore, is 2.6. So right. it's not that it's bad. It's yeah. just... It's just very, very mediocre. I'd call why this a would, mediocre it, why would it
0: be so high in the market's view when there's all this uncertainty around whether people are going to go back to the shops or they're going to go back to work in terms of commercial towers?
2: Well, there's a lot of money out there chasing, looking for things to invest in. All right, but okay. I can't, I can't explain the market how it's, how why it why it bids something up. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the sentiment thing. But yeah. to me, you know, just looking at it on uh, at a fundamental level. I wouldn't be able to pay more than, um, in yep. fact, I can see how much we'd pay for it if you wanted to buy it. Yeah. Uh, Three dollars twenty-two. Okay. And it's currently It's got uh, a long way away. That's a long,
0: long way short. And that's of to that. get ten percent. Okay. Return. All right. Scott, what do you think of
1: stock one? the the properties are worth something, uh, but I don't know how much they're worth. The challenge, I think, and you've already highlighted as as Mark, the the chain, the challenge is facing retail in particular, but real estate in general. And if you think about the changes to to shopping and buying habits, remember, of course, we don't all need to stop shopping in a a shopping center for the business to go broke. The margins the tenants operate on and the landlords operate on are really, really small. The difference between a good retail business and and a business going broke is about four or five percentage points of growth. If you can grow at two or three or 4%, you're probably gonna stay in business, if you start declining at 2% or 3% as a retailer, that's effectively your entire margin gone once you paid for the fixed costs. And the landlords are kind of the same business. If you look at the returns you get owning these things, they are really, really small, normally leveraged up. Uh, we saw during the GFC, remember that was a while ago, but for those yep. of us with a, a bit less hair than others, I am not including you, Mark. Uh, we, uh, you know, remember back to 2008, 2009, where Centro went broke, uh, basically because it had a whole lot of debt and the assets weren't worth anything all of a sudden. The business of, uh, of Stockland, well not largely, but partly, is in those mid-tier retail outlets. They're not Westfield, and they're not, generally speaking, in the neighbourhood convenience shopping centres. And they're the ones I'm really worried about, the, the hollowed out hollow middle. So, you know, my mother this morning about banking. She's so saying, look, at her, in her neighbourhood, the local banks are gone. She's got to go down, you know, four or five suburbs away to go to the bank now. Those shopping centres that are that mid-range, you know, w- w- do you bother going to those anymore? You go to your local Woolies, you go to the, the big Westfield down the street or, you know, a few suburbs across – you're probably not going to the one in between and they are going to go broke first stockland generally has lower quality assets than say right. a westfield and generally less convenient than some of the neighborhood shopping centers i think that leaves them in no man's land so i i'm not going to go there i could be entirely wrong but if you look out five or ten years and you can't say to yourself why will stockland be a still around and be bigger and better than ever you want to be paying a very very low price if you can't answer that question in the affirmative and i can't answer that question in the affirmative unfortunately the P is currently 15 times so investors are paying up right. the question you asked Mark. Uh, well and truly for a business that maybe it's fine. Maybe it finds a way in, in a post-online world, but we've learned to shop online. We may not even do it as much as we did last year, but you don't need to lose that much to jeopardize some of these businesses themselves, i.e. the tenants, the retailers. And when you lose a couple of retailers, the tenancies themselves, the landlords start to struggle. I wouldn't be going near Stockland. Okay.
0: All right. Our final stock, Jane, wants a view on uh, hotel property investment, Scott, the uh obviously, as the name implies, um, uh, invest in, in the hotels. Uh, they just bought, um, what, six more mm. hotels in the last couple of weeks, uh, uh, valued at $32.7 million all mm. up, uh, all settling uh, around June. Um, and is there a fair bit of money in hotels at the moment? I noticed Justin <laughs> Hem seems to be buying or starting them everywhere at the moment.
1: Well, so this is fascinating, Koshy, because in this case, they're not—you're not buying the hotels per se. You're buying the buildings, but you're not buying the operating businesses. Hotel right. property investments is a landlord, and 90% of their pubs are leased by the Woolies or Coles uh, liquor joint ventures, uh, QVC, uh, I think, and uh, ALH respectively. And so, when you think about kind of what this is, this is basically a real estate investment trust that happens to own pub um, land and buildings, rather than actually running the operations. As opposed to Justin Hems, who runs his own operations and does it yep. remarkably well. This is as far as we know, the, the the growth here has been phenomenal. the The opportunity here, I think, is there are really, really strong and solid tenants. Even as Woolworths spins off the Endeavour Drinks business, it's going to get rid of that that remaining business will remain really, really strong. We love a pub, we love a pokey for better or worse, um, and and you know we love our grog. So it's it's the sort of business you'd feel is reasonably recession resistant, probably even recession proof, although maybe not COVID proof as we saw. If you can not allowed to go to the pub, it yeah. makes it tough. What I do like about these businesses, is that they're taking the opportunity. They've got the balance sheet to buy these pubs, frankly, when they when they can, when the the the, the current landlords want out, um, and HBI is managing to buy these businesses and buy them at a decent price without being great. It's giving a 6.2% dividend yield, which is also really really attractive. I know, frankly, it's a real estate investment trust, but it's paying out all earnings as income, and you get a sense of how strong that income flow is. If you're an income investor, I really like this one. I think, again, I've said many, many times, most income investors or people who think they want income or dividends have 60% of their portfolio in in four banks, which I think is crazy. So if you're looking for a way to diversify your income-producing portfolio, mm. this is one that I have. It's not at the very top of my list, at least, you know, sort of part way down the list. The really nice way to diversify your investments. I don't see it beating the market, though. It's not cheap enough at 16 times earnings to be a market beater from here, I don't think, right. unless you have all of a, sudden a whole lot of people go to the pub or some massive revaluations, And I just don't see that trend persisting. So this would be a moderate performer, I think, for the long term. You do much, much worse than, than holding it. But I don't think you're gonna beat the market with this. So I can't give it the buy tick. This is a stronghold for me or a buy if you're looking for income.
0: Okay, Mark?
1: Yeah, no, that, was, that was
2: well said. I learned a few things in <laughs> I didn't know that I didn't know. Um, it's, uh, it's reasonable. Um, that's probably the best thing I could say. Uh, we're showing it returning um, between, if margin of safety, five percent year and default fourteen. Right. So it's in the middle of its PE range at the moment. So it's not in the green, which is the bottom quartile. Right. Uh, but it's okay. And and the point of the six percent dividend, your six percent dividend is pretty good hmm. uh, at the moment. So yep. if you're if you're looking for income, it's not easy to get six percent around the place. This is pretty solid. It's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, uh, the growth rate, its EPS growth rates is growing at 7%, but that's probably because of acquisitions. You know, so they're adding pubs, so their yeah. earnings are going up based on that. Right. Uh, but as uh, Scott mentioned, they're not running the pubs, which is um, uh, yeah. a lot better. They're just a, the yeah. uh, the, landlord. the landlord. So I think it's okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Team be investment. you, you do a excited whole... about it. No. Yeah. But you do a whole, uh, well, but if, uh,
0: I mean, if you want a good income. You, you,
2: I think it's a, it's a, reasonable, it's reasonable. It's a reasonable, buy, reasonable safe buy if you want 6% dividend and maybe a total return of 10%. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that sort of number?
0: All right. Let's uh, recap the final five. Uh, stocks are no from West Farmers. Uh, great company, but just um, share price really high. ALS, um, share price really high. Not such a great company. And both Scott and Mark saying if you've got ALS shares and you've run up with them, get out of them at these levels because uh, you'll make a good profit. All to sell are no. Stockland are no. Uh, hotel property investments, um, if you're after income, then um, certainly look at it for, um, if there's a, a 6% yield on it. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool. Thank you, sir. Great to see you as always. Thank you, Koshi. Good and to see you
1: too.
0: G'day, Mark. Uh, see, see you both, uh, Scott. Uh, likewise, Mark Morland from Team Invest. Good to see you, mate. Good to see you, thank too, you. Thank you. Mate. Uh, that's all we have time for, for today. If you've got any stocks you want us to take a look at, email them through. Uh, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at Ausbiz TV handle. Uh, don't forget, if you want to take a look at all the stocks in the Calls portfolio, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Uh, every day, if you want to wrap up of what's been happening in the markets, business and finance news, uh, subscribe to the newsletter. You get Scuddy's view. You get a link to the closer Business podcast and also links to the most popular videos and interviews that have been on the platform during the day. You'll find that at ausbiz.co slash the COB. And uh, on the Startup Daily Show, a bit later today, 2 p.m. Eastern, we talk everything startup, scale ups, venture capital. Sasha Reid, the founder and chief executive of Hyper, a global platform helping people turn their ideas into successful technology businesses will be joining the team that's coming up on the Startup Daily Show. So a lot happening on Ausbiz. We'll be back after the break. <laughs>